Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, to have your, um, your word. to be encouraged, to be enlightened, to broaden our vision, to help us get perspective. And I pray, Father, that you would take this time that we spent together this morning, you would speak to our hearts and that you would encourage us, but that you would also equip us and arm us. In Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozer wrote a book, this world a playground or a battleground and it's something that we need to ask ourselves whether our christian life is one where we think it's just a playground jesus gets alongside us so we can have fun or whether we are in the middle of a battlefield i think there's nothing worse in the world to, than to be in a war not realizing that you're in a war I mean, think about it. Uh, imagine you are in the middle of uh, Iraq at the time, and you're just in your civilian clothes, and you're wondering why people are shooting at you. You would be like, why are these people doing this to me? Where the moment you realize you're in the battlefield, then you're watchful, you're armed, you're prepared, realizing that it's not going to be easy, but we have to struggle. Look at Ukraine at the moment. I mean, they, these people have turned into uh, monsters in some way. They've armed themselves to protect their lives. Their whole mentality in life has changed. And Jesus said to Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. The devil himself has asked to crush you. And Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail and when you return to me, when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. The Bible tells us that we must be prepared for that which is we may describe as satanic attacks. Assaults which can at times be unusually fierce. And the devil uses many tactics. Paul speaks of these things. 2 Corinthians 2.7, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. First Peter 5.8, Peter in writing those Christ, uh, to those Christians, which actually he's writing a letter to encourage those that are being sifted after he's come back. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3.1, he says, when I heard of your trial, I saw fit to be left alone in Athens. I was so concerned for you, lest the tempter had tempted you and your faith would be tried. That you would lose trust, that you would lose confidence in the Lord. There's a story of a young Christian who is talking about the battles that he's having with the devil. And he talks to an older man, um, a sophisticated guy who's a Christian. And he says, you know, all these battles that you are talking about, about the devil attacking you. 
I've never felt any of those things in the 50 years I've been a Christian. And the young man said, have you ever considered that you might be on the same side? If there's no resistance, maybe we're just on the same side. My question is, how does the devil attack us? How does he come against us? Notice what Peter says. The devil goes about like a roaring lion. Now, have, you, have you ever watched a feline hunt? They don't make noise. They just, they approach very slowly. And you know, they see their prey and then the cats, they just move their, their behind and boom. It's, it's amazing to watch the subtle steps that this thing makes. In the same way, a, a, a lion is the same way. When he's hunting in that way, he's stealthy. But when he roars, he's doing something else. When he roars, he's trying to put fear into its prey to confuse it and made it, make it run in all kinds of directions and most of the time, and if not all the time, in the wrong direction. So I would say, first, one of the greatest tactics of the devil in our life is to drive us through fear. I remember once I, I was with someone in our house and, um, and they said that they were going to Pakistan on a mission trip. And I just thought, wow, where the Taliban are? Have fun. And, Lor and uh, Loretta says, that's amazing. Why don't you go, Raph? And I thought to myself, that's, that's really nice. And I was really put on the spot. And in that moment, I thought, yeah, why don't I go? And I got the visa and stuff. And there we were on our way to Pakistan. And then we landed in Lahore airport two days after the, and if, if you watch the news back then, two days after they burned 120 homes of Christians in the same city. Wow, my heart was afraid and arriving in this place. And then afterwards, we got into our van as we arrived at the airport and we were, we were welcomed with uh, necklaces of roses. And I thought, well, this isn't so bad. And then we got on the bus on this little Volkswagen bus. And as we left the airport, the front seat was empty. The, uh, it was a right-hand uh, wheel. And, and uh, uh, the, as soon as we left the airport grounds, the, the van stops and a guy that looks like Bin Laden with an AK-47 got in the front seat. And I thought, there you go, it was a trap. We're captive. Immediately I was filled with fear. Later we found out he was our bodyguard, which created another kind of fear. Why do I need a bodyguard? <laughs> and then in the morning we were serving these people. Um, in the morning we were uh, with like the kids and, and groups of uh, maybe a hundred people feeding them rice and stuff. And in the evenings, we were ministering to like 5,000 people and people were coming for prayer and the secret service was there and all this stuff. But you know what? I just thought, as I was there, I just thought to myself, it's amazing how fear would have kept me from what God wanted to do. And many times in our lives, God puts fear into you if I follow the Lord, 
what will happen? Sorry, the devil puts fear in our hearts as the Lord puts a call upon our life. And we are not to be driven by fear. We are to be driven by trust. As Dirk was talking about, we have a heavenly father. If you being evil know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give to you? Another tactic is the devil try, um, tries to make us think that we're the only ones going through difficulties. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. And 5.9 of 1 Peter says, Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And you know what? Sometimes our privacy, sometimes our, our, our just keeping our cards close to us and, not, and feeling ashamed leaves us vulnerable from the fellowship that there is and being wisely open, keyword wisely open with people, so that we realize that many people are going through the similar trials that we are going through. And rather than judging one another, it's amazing to realize how we can have empathy and encourage one another because we're all going through similar difficulties. Beware of self-pity that comes by comparison. Facebook, Instagram, one of the worst things in the world. I love Facebook and Instagram. I love it. I, it for the first time in my life, I know who's who because it's Facebook. Before, I couldn't remember names. And now it's just like you just go there. What, who's that person again? Oh, yeah, that's who it is. But you know what, when, when used wrongly, when you begin to see these lovely pictures of these lovely people with these lovely lives, it can really bring us to depression. One typical picture that I put up recent, uh, a couple of years ago was a Christmas picture. And my goodness, it is so beautiful. I mean, Arden is kissing Loretta's forehead. Loretta has a, a peace and a joy in her face that is just incredible. And Jonathan look, looks serene. I mean, he just looks, he's got a goodness in his face. And me, I just looked all relaxed. That couldn't have been further from the truth. You couldn't hear me saying, Arden, you get into this picture right now and you better smile. But, you know, the tension, the, 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 the 500 pictures that were taken to get to that one picture that I posted on Instagram that makes life look perfect. But in reality, there's no perfect life because this world is not a playground. It is a battleground. And one of the tactics is to make us compare ourselves by ourselves. And that, Paul says, is not wise. The Lord wants us to realize that everyone is going through something and that it's normal and that it is to be expected. And realize, and to realize that the promise of the gospel is not that we won't go through anything, but rather that he's with us and has called us to something greater than our trials, far greater than our trials. Number three, another tactic of the devil very quickly is to get us isolated. You see, when you begin to compare ourselves by yourselves, by other people, then you get, like Dirk was saying, into a depression. And we, we I, I can tend to retrieve 
like a turtle, like a snail. Just, I want to be by myself. And that's what predators do. That's what hyenas do. That's what lions do. That's what tigers do. They isolate the prey, get it on its own, the weak one. And this is where it's very important. In Hebrews 10, 23, 24, let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaken the assembly together as is the manner of some. And listen to this, I love this. Uh, because whenever you get a text, it's I hate texting because of the, the tone. You can not tell, and sometimes people take this text, not forsaken the gathering together of the saints, as some do. It's not a condemnation. It is not forsaken the, 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 the assembling together because that's where the strength is. When we are together, Paul speaks of taking the shield of faith. And the shield of faith in that Paul's talking about is the Roman faith, not a Viking round tiny faith, but actually a, 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 a rectangular uh, shield. And, and you could protect yourself by yourself on the front. You could protect yourself on the top. You could protect yourself on the right individually. But together, the Romans, they did something very interesting. They made a box. And they could only make a box together. So when we come together, we are able to have empathy, compassion of one another, exercise faith for one another and encourage one another to get our eyes on the Lord. And God wants us to be strengthened by one another. Number three is to get us discouraged. Number four, to get us discouraged, feeling useless, feeling and keeping us from flourishing. First Peter 4.10 says, as each of you has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. How many of this statement, I heard this statement once years ago. How many of you wish there was two of somebody else and none of yourself? If I was just like Billy Graham, if I was just like Corey Timboom, if I was just like this other person in the church, if I could just be them and disappear myself, and this is a lie from the pit of hell, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another. I think the devil can discourage us into thinking that we have nothing to give. I'm going to give you an example. I shared this message actually in California in two churches, but I used the example of Denise and Martin. When Denise left, Something happened to me that was quite strange. I became quite anxious for people. I was constantly thinking, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. I wonder how and-so. And I was quite anxious. And I was like, why am I anxious? In the, in the past, I would have been thinking of them. I would have been praying for them. I would have been concerned. And I would have gone to see them. But why am I anxious? And I realized that the reason I was anxious is because the niece wasn't there anymore. Because when someone... There's other people in the church that do this. But Denise, uh, when someone was sick, she was there. If there's someone that was weak, she was there. 
I always knew these people would be taken care of. And I could kind of come into that, into that ecosystem. And sometimes we think of giftings as teaching, as prophecy, as miracles and healing. Sometimes we think of gifting as that. But I tell you what, the gift of coming alongside a person, loving on them, having compassion for them and being a friend, to me, are the gifts that are esteemed less, but are the most important in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that those less noticeable parts of the body, less visible parts of the body, are the ones that are most needed. I mean, no one ever fell in love with a liver. No one ever said, oh, what beautiful kidneys you have. <laughs> but in reality, without them, life is impossible. I could have no nose and I'd be okay as long as I have holes. But I can't have no liver. It's amazing how much money goes into noses. You know what I mean? But the, the less visible parts are the most important. And I want to encourage you and I think the Lord wants to encourage you that God has gifted you with gifts that you might think are common and they are common to you, but they are extraordinary to other people. And that you were growing confidence in that, that you would not think yourself, oh, I wish I had that gift, but that you would actually learn how to flow and how to live in the gift that you have that God has given you, and that we would function together as a body. Another tactic of the devil is to make us impatient with the lack of progress in our lives and in the lives of those around us, in church and in our families. Jonathan, my son, is becoming a teenager. No, he has become a teenager. And my goodness, I just want to die. I think parenting is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my whole entire life. Pastoring a church is nothing compared to parenting. And you know, yet I have to grow confident that God is doing a work in his life. That although the progress might be slow in his life, that it is happening, that it is unstoppable progress going on in his life. But then I also have to be patient and not grow discouraged in my own life with the lack of progress in my life because there are things coming out in my life that I didn't think were there. You see, when I was single and I got married, I thought I was the best Christian in the world. Then I realized I was closer to the other side. Then we got going quite well with our marriage. And now with parenting, I feel humiliated all over again with reactions with different things. But you know what? I need to not grow weary in the progress that's going on in my life because the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But then at church, at church we have all kinds of people. We have people that are not Christian. We have people that are Christians that have backslidden. We have people that are Christians that are flourishing. There are people that are young Christians and flourishing. Young uh, people that are older Christians are not 
and, and flourishing. But the reality is that we're all in different stages of life and we have been commissioned to be patient with one another, to bear with one another, to encourage one another in love. Thing might not seem very impressive in people's lives, but all that matters is whether God is impressed by it. He wants us to know today that there's progress, unstoppable progress going on. Another tactic of the devil is to go we become weary in doing good. Discouragement. They say that one guy went to see the arsenal, arsenal of Satan and he could see, you know, adultery. He could see um, just the different vices that we think of, covetousness. And, 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 and then there was one particular weapon that was covered. And when he, uh, you know, obviously we always want to know what the, what the one is that we can't know what it is. And he, and he says, so which one's the one that's covered? He says, oh no, that's my secret weapon. Oh, well, what is it? He's like, oh no, no, I can't tell you that. And then finally he gives in and he says, okay, I'll uncover it for you. And it said discouragement. And he said, well, how is discouragement your strongest weapon? And then the devil says, because no one knows it belongs to me. Whenever we're discouraged, we don't think it's coming from the outside. We think it's us. And we can have the feeling in our lives that our lives have no impact whatsoever. And he wants you to know that there is impact going on. Florence Chadwick, in 1952, she traveled to Southern California and she swam, she attempted to swim across to Catalina Island, 26 miles. 15 hours into it, a fog began to set in, cloud her vision and confidence, and she signaled insecurity, and one hour later, she gave up. She got on the boat and afterwards discovered that she was one mile from the beach. This is one of the biggest fears in my life. One of the biggest fears in my life is that I will grow discouraged to quit right about when it's going to get better. I think with Loretta and I, you know, we, I, I, we had a rough seven years at the beginning. And how many times you just sort of felt like quitting? I didn't want a bad marriage. And I didn't want just a sufficient one, but I wanted a great marriage. But to not grow weary in doing good, to go past. In the church, the first, the, when I became the pastor of the church, I don't know if you guys know this, but I gave, in my heart, I gave myself five years. I was not going to quit in the first five years. And then afterwards, I gave myself another five years because I didn't want to quit right before there will be a change. And, they, and two months later, Florence Chadwick, she tried again and she made it. 
and they asked her, how did you make it? What was your mindset? She said, all I could see was the beach in my mind the whole time, the goal. She did not shake the goal. But notice that when Jesus said to Peter, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. That is the battlefield. But then he says, but I've prayed for you. And when you have come back to me, notice that to me, when you've returned to Jesus, strengthen your brothers. And this is what I want to um, head towards the end of it. Another tactic of the devil is to distract us from the person of Jesus. And we cannot allow ourselves to be attacked, uh, distracted from Jesus. And as is was said earlier, we have the greatest privilege in our life. Paul prayed in Colossians chapter 1 that we would know his will. He prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 that we'll be filled with hope. Hebrews shows us that Jesus is greater and better, and he wants us to have confidence in that. In Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that we will be filled with the love of God and that we would love people. And as we are sifted and tried and are in this battlefield, I believe with all my heart that the Lord wants us to get a good glimpse of Jesus and keep growing in our relationship to Jesus. Jesus is bigger than we think, and Jesus is greater than we think, and Jesus is better than we think. No matter where you are today, no matter how long you've walked with him, no matter how well you think you know him, Jesus is bigger, Jesus is better, and Jesus is greater than how you know him right now. I'm going to share a couple of verses with you. Job, here's the man who God says there are none like him on earth. He loses his possessions, he loses his family, he loses his health, and then he loses the support of his wife. When he's filled with boils, his wife comes up and rather than saying, hey, it's going to be all right, man, the Lord is with us. She says, why don't you curse God and die? To me, that's the worst part. To me, that's the worst part. When your partner turns on you when you're down, but God said to Job, you've spoken, now I'm going to question you. Where were you? He says, brace yourself like a man. And then these are the words of Job. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Listen, he was the most righteous man on earth, and he still had not seen the fullness of who God is. One of my favorite examples is John. John, he, he 
sees Jesus calm the sea. He sees Jesus heal the blind. He sees Jesus raise the dead. He sees Jesus cleanse the leper. In the Last Supper, he puts his head on him. He feels like the one that Jesus loves. He sees Jesus die. He sees Jesus rise. He sees Jesus ascend firsthand. And yet Jesus was greater. Jesus was bigger. Jesus was better than he thought. Because when he's on the island of Patmos, he says he saw Jesus glorified and he fell down as dead. No matter where you're at today, no matter where you're at today, no matter how well you know him, there's more. And my favorite verse concerning this is actually the Queen of Sheba. She traveled, I don't know how many miles to go see Solomon. And it says that when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of, of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. In her. She was overwhelmed. She said, all the fame that was told me does not compare. You're even better than I thought. You're even better than it was told me. She was overwhelmed in her heart. And listen, Jesus said, today one greater than Solomon stands before you. And think of this. Think of the impact that Jesus has had in our world. Think of the architecture. Some of the greatest architecture achievements in Europe were built to worship him. Think of, go to Barcelona, go to the Sagrada Familia. I mean, it's amazing. It's still not finished. They're, they're projected to finish it in the next five years. And, and um, good luck. But, uh, but, I mean, here you have these, uh, my, my favorite part is these double doors. I don't know if they're copper or what it is, but they're dark, un, just not clean, except where Pilate says in Latin, what is the truth? And then in golden letters, it says, Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. Think of art. Some of the world's most beautiful art has been created to honor him. In the National Gallery, there's that picture. I remember as a new Christian seeing that picture by Rembrandt of the woman taken to be condemned because she committed adultery. Some of the world's most glorious music written to praise him. Today, we actually sang, I am not my own by a 17 year old girl that wrote it to pen her identity in Jesus. For 2000 years, people have been physically healed from all, I mean, just restored from all walks of life. In his name, people have forsaken personal gain to feed the hungry. And Billy Graham's daughter wrote in her, in her book, Just Give Me Jesus, she wrote these words. And every chapter she has some attributes, and I just picked these. He's enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally gracious. He is impartially powerful. He is imperially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizons of the globe. He is God's son. He is the sinner's savior. He is the captive's ransom. He is the breath of life. He is the centerpiece of civilization. 
He stands in the solitude of himself. He is august and he is unique. He is unparalleled and he is unprecedented. He is un undisputed and undefiled. He is unsurpassed and he is unshakable. He is the lofty idea of philosophy. He is the highest personality in psychology. He is the supreme subject in literature. He is the unavoidable problem of higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the cornerstone, the capstone, and the stumbling stone of all religion. He is the miracle of the ages. Just give me Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And you're going to go through difficulties. But when you come back to me, everything in Paul's life, not Peter, everything in Paul's life, his whole life revolved around Jesus. He says, for me to live is Christ. He says, oh, to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. Then he said these words that to me are like a red, like a steak. You know, you're ever hungry and you go to a Argentinian barbecue or asado or you go to a, a, South, a South African um, brie, is that what it's called? And, and bra? Bry. That's, there you go. Or you go and, and you just put the coals on and you put the meat on and the fat begins to burn and you just smell and you, your mouth begins to water. This is what these verses do to me. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can yield to the temptation to think the life is going to be a playground. We can yield to the temptation to think that life is just supposed to be easy, cruising. But if we're honest with the Bible, we are in a cosmic battle. And today we sang, Who can stop the Lord Almighty? The Lion of Judah who fights all our battles. And I want to say this to you guys today. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He's going to tempt you with comparing, with discouragement, with making you feel worthless, with, with making you feel condemned, attacked. But there's un, an unstoppable process going on in our life. And we come, when we come back to him, when we get our eyes on him, and remember, Peter had to be stripped of his self-confidence and be brought to a place 
of a complete confidence in the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to encourage us today to get our eyes on the Lord, realizing that he's bigger, that he's better, that he's greater than anything that life might throw at us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your love. We thank you so much, Lord, that although there might be we might be going through circumstances that seem strange to us but are not strange to you. That we might be going through things that we think no, nobody's going. If we could just have that other life instead of ours. But help us to realize here today, Lord, that we are in the middle of a battle and the greatest privilege of our life is to belong to you, the greatest captain in history. Help us, Lord, to find all our strength in you. As we realize our identity in you, as we get new glimpses of you, greater, bigger, better as we realize Lord that you are not against us that you are for us that even like Job said after I've been tried I will come forth as gold and he did even with all his misunderstandings he did even those glimpses I know my Redeemer lives And then those valleys of desperation. Help us to realize, Lord, that you're not just the God of the mountaintops. You're the God of the valleys. And not to allow ourselves to be tempted through fear. But that we would get our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. That we will not allow ourselves to be isolated but that we will pull together with people we trust and people we love that will point us to you. That we will not allow ourselves to be discouraged or feel insignificant, realizing, Lord, that ultimately the victory is ours in you. And I pray, Lord, that just like Elisha and his servant as they looked at those armies in front and no doubt felt afraid, felt insignificant. And now Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he would realize that the ones that are with us are more than the ones that are with them. And all of a sudden he saw the chariots, of, chariots all around of angels. The circumstances had not changed. The perspective had changed. And Lord, whatever happened in Peter's life at Pentecost, that one day he's afraid and the next day is judged for yourselves. Should we stop speaking? We can only speak about the things that we have heard and we have seen. And that confidence that he had in the midst of the Sanhedrin, in the midst of the religious leaders, that is something you did. 
That is something you did in Simon's life. And although he didn't become perfect then, he became stronger in you, not in himself. And Father, we ask that for our lives. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that we will not be the people that are saturated and squashed by the cares of this world, but that we would be that good soil, Lord, that are more than conquerors, Lord, through you who lead us. Lord, fill us with a godly confidence, Lord, with a godly trust. No matter what the devil throws at us, may we just wash it off like a water off a duck's back. And may we just keep our eyes on you, Lord. Nobody loves us like you do. Nobody cares like you do. Nobody is strong as you are. Nobody has an indestructible kingdom as you do. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your disposition towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.